31, and when you find your place, if you'll stand with us today, and uh, we were going to read verses 5 through 11, but I'm going to be honest with you, I'd like to start in verse number 1 and read down through verse 11, and I believe it'll give you a little bit better understanding of what's going on here, and it won't take us but a few extra minutes here. So 2 Chronicles 31 in your Bibles, and look at verse number 1. The Bible says, now, when all this was finished, all Israel that were present went out to the cities of Judah and break the images in pieces and cut down the groves and threw down the high places and the altars out of all Judah and Benjamin and Ephraim also and Manasseh until they had utterly destroyed them all. And then all the children of Israel returned every man to his possession into their own cities. <clears throat> and Hezekiah appointed the courses of the priests and the Levites after their courses, every man according to his service, the priests and Levites for burnt offerings and for peace offerings. I love this next, next few lines. To minister and to give thanks and to praise in the gates of the tents of the Lord. When I read that this week, I couldn't help but think about our hospitality team. And that's sort of what they do. They meet us at the gate, so to speak. And they minister and give thanks and praise and welcome. And that's sort of what's going on here in 2 Chronicles 31, verse 3. He appointed also the king's portion of his substance for the burnt offerings to wit, for the morning and evening burnt offerings and the burnt offerings for the Sabbaths and for the new moons and for the set feast. As it is written for the law of the Lord, moreover, he commanded the people that dwelt in Jerusalem to give the portion of the priest and the Levites that they might be encouraged in the law of the Lord. And as soon as the commandment came abroad, the children of Israel brought in abundance the first fruits of corn, wine, and oil, and honey, and of all the increase of the field and the tithe of all things, brought they in abundantly. And concerning the children of Israel and Judah that dwelt in the cities of Judah, they also brought in the tithe of oxen and sheep and the tithe of holy things which were consecrated unto the Lord their God and, hmm, and laid them by heaps. In the third month, they began to lay the foundation of the heaps and finished them in the seventh month. And when Hezekiah and the princess came and saw the heaps, they blessed the Lord and his people Israel. And then Hezekiah questioned with the priest and the Levites concerning the heaps. And Azariah, the chief priest of the house of Zedek, answered him and said, Since the people began to bring the offerings into the house of the Lord, we have had enough to eat and have left plenty. For the Lord hath blessed his people. And that which is left is this great store. Then Hezekiah commanded to bring chamber or to prepare chambers in the house of the Lord. And they prepared them. And we'll stop there today. We could read on, but we'll stop there today. You may be seated. And I want to talk to you about this subject. I'm sort of using 2 Chronicles 31. You say, Pastor, what does 2 Chronicles 31 have to do with problems? Well, I think you'll know and you'll understand this a little bit more here in just a few moments. But why God allows the problem? Have you ever wondered about that? You ever wondered? My wife and I, we... Uh, uh, went out the, last week. We went out uh, to try to encourage our kids a little bit, and um, and great trip. We thank the Lord for that. And then on the way back, you know, boy, things. It was like 
literally, it was like things fell apart. I mean, it was. We landed in uh, Dallas, Texas. And after a while, uh, and I, I'm going to be honest, I wish I could tell you that I scored an A-plus on this, and I didn't, all right? But um, we, were, we were a little flustered, and more me than her. And, uh, but after a while, there were so many things that were happening, we just sort of looked at each other and said, listen, let's just take a deep breath because too much is happening for this not to be a test. This has got to be a test. We landed in Dallas, Texas, and, and uh, as soon as we got on the runway, I you know, got my phone up, and the email came up and said, your flight's been canceled in North Carolina. And we got off the plane. I go to the customer service there, there at American Airlines, and basically they just told us to drop dead. I mean, there was just nothing they could do. And so here we are in Dallas, Texas, and we don't have a room to stay in. We don't have a place to go. And, uh, and so uh, anyway, we finally find a, a hotel room. And so we uh, call the hotel room and, and uh, we say, listen, we need a shuttle. And so uh, we go out to the uh, shuttle place. The uh, shuttle driver told us it had been 106 degrees in Dallas, Texas. And so we go out waiting in the heat. It took three hours for the shuttle to get there. And so we're waiting out in this Texas heat. And, and uh, as if things couldn't get any worse, uh, a guy came up to us, and uh, anyway, long story short, he was uh, heavily intoxicated, and he just decided to stay with us all three hours, and uh, you know, it was a blessing, I'm telling you. It was just awesome. I mean, it was awesome, uh, and so I told my wife, I said, that's it. I'm not waiting. I called the hotel several times. They wouldn't answer, and uh, finally got them, and I said, listen, we're waiting on this shuttle. It's been a long time. And I told her, I said, I'm just going to call an Uber. So I tried to download the Uber app on my phone. We didn't have service in Dallas, Texas. Can you figure that out? I couldn't get the Uber app to, to, uh, to uh, load. And so we were stranded. We finally get to the room. And, uh, and so uh, we hadn't eaten anything all day. And so we, we walk. You know, we don't have a car anymore. So we walk down to Chick-fil-A. We walk to Chick-fil-A. And the guy at Chick-fil-A says, oh, we're closed. And, uh, and so we ate that night, my wife, she had some carrots, <laughs> which is her staple. And then she had some carrots and cauliflower and, uh, and the broccoli in the bag. And she put that in the cup in our hotel room. She put some water in it, steamed it, put some salt and pepper on it. And that was our supper. Amen. That and beef jerky. And it was great by the way. And, uh, now wait a minute, you know, after, after a little while, after a little while, we got to thinking, you know what, this is, this is a test. You know, we're trying to encourage folks. We're trying to, uh, you know, get back for our church. And then all these things happen. You ever wonder about that? Now, your situation wasn't a canceled flight. But your situation was something. And you thought, you know, this don't make any sense. I'm trying to go to church. I signed up for a ministry commission coalition I'm trying to be faithful. I'm coming to choir practice. I'm trying to read my Bible. And yet it seems like there's nothing but problems. Can I talk to you about that a little bit today? Why God allows the problem. Let's go to the Lord and ask God to help us. And we'll jump into this story this morning. Father, we love you. Thank you so much for the privilege to be here today. And, and Lord, to be back with our church family and how we love them and appreciate them. God, I, do, I truly believe that you've laid a message on my heart that is for this group. And Lord, I believe it's going to be a blessing. It's blessed me. It's helped me. 
especially with what's unfolded the last few days. And so I pray that it'll be a help to, to these dear folks as well. And, and so, Lord, uh, help my words to make sense. Help my thoughts to come together. I pray that you'd give me recall of what you have given me and what we've studied. And, uh, Lord, I pray that it would honor Christ and glorify him. And I pray, Lord, that it would be an incredible blessing to this church family today. Now, Lord, just as sure as I'm here today, somebody right here under the sound of my voice is struggling. And uh, they feel like, right now, they feel like God's been a little unfair to them. They feel like life is not right. They feel like that, uh, Lord, that you're not just in what you're doing or what you're allowing to happen. And uh, Lord, there's somebody here today or somebody watching Boy of the live stream that is questioning the will of God. And, and so, Lord, I pray right now that you'd fill us with the Holy Spirit and help us as we learn. And Father, we pray again that Jesus will receive glory and praise from it all. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name we pray, and for his sake and all God's people said, Amen. Let me tell you why, I read, why we read this morning in 2 Chronicles chapter 31. One of my favorite Bible characters is Hezekiah, by the way. Miss Karen had asked me a question two weeks ago about Hezekiah, and I told her then, I said, hang on, because we're probably going to be going there very, very soon. And I love to preach about Hezekiah, and I love to read uh, the uh, recording and the story of King Hezekiah. And as we read this morning, and we, we could go back a little before this, but in 2 Chronicles chapter 31, the kingdom under Hezekiah uh, has become extremely healthy and extremely blessed. Uh, if you go back a little before this chapter that we read today, uh, Hezekiah has become the king and idolatry uh, has been banished. And so that's what it's talking about. We read that early in Second Chronicles 31. They're, they're basically, they're taking the idols and the false gods and they're tearing them apart and, and, uh, uh, and they are doing away with all the false gods. And so uh, idolatry in Israel is being done away with. Not only that, but the Passover uh, is once again restored and the temple worship has been restarted. Not only has it been restarted, but I'm going to be honest, it's been recharged. Uh, you see, uh, before Hezekiah became the king, the temple had not only been stopped and the temple worship had not only been stopped, but the temple had basically been torn apart, had been desecrated. And they had set idols up in the, in the house of God and, and the house of God had been vandalized and, and uh, was in ill repair, disrepair. The doors had been shut. And, and Hezekiah becomes the king, and so he repairs the house of the Lord. They find the word of God, and little by little, Hezekiah begins to reinstate the religious leadership into place once again. In fact, uh, if you want to turn back there, just one page back, look, if you will, at 2 Chronicles chapter number 30, the chapter before we read today, 2 Chronicles 30 and verse number 26. And look what it says in verse number 26. The Bible says, so there was great joy in Jerusalem. I mean, man, things are headed in the right direction here. Uh, so there was great joy in Jerusalem. In fact, look what it says. For since the time of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, there was not the like in Jerusalem. Wow. You know what that means? Things are going great. I mean, the Lord is blessing and the people are beginning to worship. And, uh, you know, it'd be, it'd be something similar to our COVID, our COVID-19. 
when churches were out and not able to come together. And, and now, you know, the, the, the fog of COVID-19 is beginning to go away and, and people are beginning to come back out again and, and you're not having to wear masks and all those things. And, uh, and, and that, that's what's going on here. And so Hezekiah's become the king and, and God is beginning to bless. And, and we notice here in 2 Chronicles chapter 31 that the, peop, that the Bible mentions that the people are tithing again. They quit giving and now, once again, they are giving toward the things of the Lord. In fact, in fact, the Bible says this, that the tithes are so healthy that storehouses are having to be built to put all the tithes in. Look at, it, if you will, Second Chronicles chapter 31, look at verse number six. Verse six, and concerning the children of Israel and Judah, that dwelt in the cities of Judah, look at this, they also brought in the tithe of oxen and sheep and the tithe of holy things which were consecrated unto the Lord their God, look at this last part, and laid them by heaps, the Bible says. Now skip down to verse number 10. The Bible says, and Azariah, the chief priest of the house of Zadok answered him and said, since the people began to bring the offerings into the house of the Lord, we have had enough to eat and have left plenty for the Lord has blessed his people and that which is left is this great store. Look at verse 11. Then Hezekiah commanded to prepare chambers in the house of the Lord. Now, church, basically what's going on, simply put, is this. The people are so excited and the people are bringing so many tithes that there's just no room to put it all in. Uh, it would be like us, as the ushers came out today and were passing the plates, it'd be like the ushers come and say, preacher, the ushers' plates aren't working. I mean, it's just, I mean, they're heaped up and running over and the money's falling out and, and uh, uh, we're gonna have to start, you know, bringing in uh, wash tubs or something, you know, and, uh, and we're gonna start passing the wash tubs. And that, I mean, that's, that's what's going on. I mean, the people are so excited and they're bringing in so much and God is blessing so greatly and uh, Hezekiah comes and says, man, what is all this? And Zadok says, Hezekiah, he said, the people are giving so generously. He said, we don't have enough place to put all this, all the tithes. And so they're building storehouse. Oh, that God would do that again at Calvary Baptist Church. And, uh, uh, and, and so you see what's going on here. Man, God is blessing in an amazing way. In fact, we find here that God is blessing and the kingdom is prospering. Look, if you will, at 2 Chronicles 31 and look at verse number 20 with me. The Bible says, and thus did Hezekiah throughout all Judah and wrought that which was good and right and truth before the Lord is God. And in every work that he began in the service of the house of God and in the law and in the commandments to seek his God. Look at this. And he did it with all his heart. And the Bible says, and prospered and prospered. Now, again, I just want to use this as a jumping board, but basically what's going on is, is the, the, the people have been redirected toward the Lord. The temple has been opened. Worship has been reinstated again. And God is pouring his blessing out. In fact, the Bible says maybe like it had never been seen before. Now, you know what's going on? National morale is maybe at an all-time high. Like right now, it's a little low in America. I mean, you know, when you go to California and you put seven gallons to fill up the rental car before you take it to the airport and it's 50 bucks. Well, you know, that's sort of how it was. 
But now, all of a sudden, boy, God is working. And folks are saying, man, let's give and let's get involved. And, and, and the nation is prospering and the kingdom is prospering. And God really seems to be blessing. And you say, well, okay, preacher, all right, I get it. What does that have to do with that title? Because it's right about this time the bottom falls out. Right when everything is going great, when the kingdom is seeing revival, when the people are at an all-time high and God, God is really doing something, all of a sudden, when everything seems to be going good, guess what happens? The battle comes. The battle comes. Now you say, Pastor, what are you talking about? Well, first of all, we see here the enemy digs in. Look at, look at uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 32, verse number 1. The Bible says here in 2 Chronicles 32, verse 1, after these things. What, what things? Those good things. Those great things. Those things of blessing. After these things and the establishment thereof, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and entered into Judah and encamped against the fence cities and thought to win them for himself. Everything is going great, and all of a sudden, guess what happens? The enemy shows up. Hey, does that sound right? I mean, just when you're having revival, just when folks are getting right, just when, just when the kingdom is turning around and God is blessing and, and, uh, and things are prospering, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, the enemy shows up. Ever happened to you? I mean, just when things were going great, just when you got your new home, just when you signed the, the papers for the closing deal or you bought that new car or, or uh, you just had that brand new baby come into the family or maybe you just got that brand new promotion or you got that brand new job and you're thinking, wow, man, this is awesome. Everything is going great. And then the enemy showed up. Not only does the enemy dig in here, but I wrote something else down. Number two, we noticed that affliction is diagnosed. Look at chapter 32 in verse number 24. As if things are not bad enough, look at verse 24. The Bible says, in those days, what days when things were so blessed, when things were prospering, when God was working, in those days, Hezekiah, oh my, was sick to the death. And prayed unto the Lord, and he spake unto him and gave him a sign. Man, things are going great. And all of a sudden, the battles come. All of a sudden, the bottom falls out. Now, here's the question. Things were going so good, why didn't God just take the battle away? I mean, if, if God is blessing, and he is, the people are giving, and they were. They were seeing success and and prosperity and, and blessing and, and safety and everything's going great and now the bottom just falls out. And somebody says, Pastor, why didn't God, why didn't God just take the battle away? If God has the power and he does and if God has the ability and he does and if God is so good and he is, if God is all those things and if God is a God of blessing, why, preacher, why doesn't God take my problem away? I mean, you tell us every Sunday that God is good. And by the way, he is good. He's so good that we can't even comprehend how good he is. 
And you say, well, pastor, if that's true, if God is good and God is merciful and God is gracious and he is, all those things, then you say, why does God let this thing happen in my life? Why is there cancer, preacher? If God's so great, like you talk about, why would God allow cancer? Hey, pastor, if God is so wonderful, why did my loved one pass away? If God is so good, why did I lose my job? If God is so wonderful, why, why did my motor blow up in my car? Preacher, if God is so good, why did the tree in the storm, why did it fall on my house? I mean, if God is so good, now hang on church, hang on. Because Lord willing, next Sunday, we're going to go deeper on this. But I want to talk to you a little bit about this, this subject today. Why God allows the problem. Here's the reason. The truth is our Heavenly Father does allow problems so his children will know pressure. So if you want to write something in the margin of your Bible, I would encourage you to write those two words. Problems equals pressure. Preacher, if God is so good, and he is, if God loves me, and he does, if God is so merciful and gracious, and he is all those things, then why does God allow the problem? And the answer to that question is because sometimes a loving heavenly father, even though he loves you more than you could ever comprehend, sometimes God will allow his children to know pressure. Now, why is that, pastor? Because pressure produces a purer and a much better product. By the way, church, think about it like this. Think about it logically. How many parents do you know that make every single thing easy for their children? Everything. They fight every battle for their child. They never allow their child to struggle. They pay every single bill their child has. They provide everything their child wants. Now, truth of the matter is, you know what's gonna happen, don't you? You're going to have a spoiled brat on your hand. And we do. Our nation's pretty much made up of that nowadays. Where mom and dad are doing everything, paying all the bills, taking care of their condition, taking care of the medical bills. I'm talking about, and I'm not talking about little kids. I'm talking about, uh, I'm talking about when uh, they ought to be having their own home and, their, and running their own AC. Can I get an amen right there? Amen. Uh, not popular preaching, but it's good truth. Amen. Uh, and uh, now that, uh, I'm just saying this. A, a parent that, that just continuously does and does and does and does and does and does for their child, that's really not love. What that is that's becoming an enabler the, the truth is my wife and I at times we let our kids struggle just a little at times they came to us and they said dad I want this they didn't get it you know why because we knew something we couldn't give them every single thing they wanted we knew that they needed to, listen, we had to scratch and claw and work and sweat and get some calluses and we knew something else. Our kids needed to do the same. They needed to know, to know and learn how to make their own way. And, and we understood something. We understood that pressure, not all pressure is bad, but sometimes pressure is a very good thing. Back in the 80s, when I was going to West Ireland High School, we were having a, a banner year at, uh, in, on our football team. And, and man, we were winning games left and right. And it, it, was, it, was quite, it was quite the year. School was excited because we were having so many victories. But, uh, but let me tell you one of the ways that we got to that banner year, we practiced not once, but twice a day. 
In the summertime, I mean, we practiced in the morning. We came back later that afternoon. We practiced again. We'd practice three hours in the morning. We'd practice three hours at night. I'm talking about in the hot sun. And man, I still to this day, I remember those suicide drills and I remember those duck walks and I remember those push-ups and I remember, and some of you football players, remember that when you just lay on the ground and do those leg lifts? beat on your belly. Y'all remember that? And, uh, and I remember those guys, man, they drove us and drove. In fact, we had one of our coaches, we had several, but one of our coaches was an old grizzled Vietnam veteran, lost one of his legs in Vietnam. And he walked all over that field with crutches. And sometimes he'd throw the crutches away and he'd just hop around on one leg. Uh, and I mean, uh, listen, rough, rough as a cob and just gave us what for. And uh, now, wait a minute now. What are you saying, preacher? I'm saying that that pressure, that pressure made us a better team. Every soldier who's ever experienced basic training knows about pressure. It's not a Sunday school picnic when you went to basic training. You had a, a drill instructor yelling in your face, getting up in your face, putting that smoke in the bare uh, brim of his hat right there on your nose and making you get up, making you get down, making you move this sand pile over here and then move it back over here and just pressure, pressure, pressure. And you say, Pastor, what is that about? I'll tell you what it was about. They were trying to make sure that you were a better recruit and one that would not buckle under the hard times. Pressure does that. Just a few days ago, my wife and I were driving down the West Coast. We were in a place called Coronado, California. And we were driving down, went right by the amphibious naval base there where the, uh, where the Navy, where they trained the Navy SEALs. In fact, uh, in fact, I think I've got a, a picture up here on the screen that I want to show you. In Coronado, California. And uh, they take these men out there sometimes uh, at, uh, before daylight. And, and uh, I, I want to tell you something about the West Coast. Uh, it's cold. The water's cold. I don't care what time of the, of the year you go. It's just cold. It's always cold. And uh, they take these guys out there early in the morning, often before daylight, and make them get out there in the surf and, and get soaking wet and sandy and uh, drive them and drive them. And uh, you say, Pastor, what is that about? Let me tell you what it's about. It's about making one of the most elite branches of the military anywhere in the world. Now, again... I'm just saying this church, you know what does that? Pressure does that. Pressure. That, that, that drill instructor doesn't get out there and say, well, oh, you don't want to be out here today? Well, that's okay. You're just going back to the barracks and lay down. And, and, uh, and I'll tell you what, why don't you come on out day after tomorrow and, and we'll, we'll do some. No, no, you know what? You're there whether you want to be there or not. Why? That pressure is making a better product. That pressure is helping develop that soldier again. I don't know if this is a good illustration or not, but I thought about this. The new craze right now is something called an instant pot. And uh, now, uh, I say new craze. This is really not new. My mom used one before they were called an instant pot. It was just much bigger and it went, y'all remember that? And uh, mom's was big. I mean, it looked like a small bathtub. And she would put green beans in that thing and all kind of things. And, and she would pressure cook uh, those vegetables. And sometimes she would can them. And, uh, and, uh, but, you know, sort of the newfangled pressure cooker, if you will. But, but I'll be honest with you, they're pretty neat. My wife's got one and they're pretty neat. 
You can take an old, uh, 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 you know, a frozen, uh, tough piece of meat and you can put it in an instant pot for just, a, for just a little while and then a little bit later let that pressure off and open that baby up and you know what? That piece of meat that was raw, frozen, tough, you know what? You can tear it apart with a fork. And it's absolutely tender and delicious. You say, Pastor, what did that? Pressure. Pressure. You know, sometimes God allows you and I to go through problems because pressure, he knows that pressure is going to help us. It's why I chose this background right here. Pressure is what forms a beautiful diamond in the rough. Did you know that that carbon that you see on the bottom portion of the screen, did you know that carbon has no possible way of turning itself into a beautiful diamond? That carbon has no power. That carbon can't just wake up one day and say, you know what, I think I'm going to turn myself into a diamond. No. You know how that carbon forms into a beautiful gem? Pressure. In fact, I didn't know how much. Listen to this. That diamond needs both very high temperature and very strong pressure. Under the duress of approximately 725,000 pounds per square inch. And at temperatures of 2,000 to 2,200 degrees Fahrenheit, a, di a diamond begins to form from that carbon. Now, that's I said all that to say this. If you're in the will of God and God has allowed some difficulty in your life, I can promise you this. It's not because he hates you. And it's probably not even because he's mad at you. If you know you're living in the will of God and God has allowed some pressure, some problems, some adversity to come into your life, I can promise you this, he's done it to help you. He's done it to form you. Hey, yes. He's done it to turn you from that to that. In fact, listen to what Job said in Job chapter number 23 and verse number eight. Listen to what Job said. Job said, behold, I go forward but he's not there. And backward, but I cannot perceive him. On the left hand where he doth work, but I cannot behold him. He hideth himself on the right hand that I cannot see him. Job said, I looked for God and all the things that were going on in my life. He said, I looked for God and he said, I couldn't find him and it made no sense to me. But then Job said in verse number 10, but he knoweth the way that I take. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. If a loving God allows pressure into your life, church, this is my message this morning, don't get upset with God. But that's what happens a lot of times. You're living for the Lord. You're playing an instrument. You're singing in the choir. You're uh, uh, serving in the nursery. You're uh, trying to give your tithe. You're, you're trying to read your Bible. You're trying to spend time in prayer. And then all of a sudden, the bottom drops out. And you're like, this isn't right. Well, this isn't fair at all. Why is my baby sick? I mean, why, why is my baby sick and the people across the auditorium, their baby's not sick? I mean, this, this is not right. I want you to understand something. God's not doing that because he hates you. God's allowing some pressure to be applied in your life. You know why? 
He's trying to turn you from that to that. He's trying to, listen, he's trying to turn you into something that's wonderful. I, 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 want, you to, I want you to do something. We're, we're about done, but I want you to, I know we got to be done. But I want you to turn to Romans chapter 8 with me, if you will, real quick. And we're we're going to be out of here. Romans chapter 8. Now, whenever you say Romans chapter 8, almost instantaneously, we think about Romans 8, 28. Does anybody here today, is Romans 8, 28, just by curiosity, is Romans 8, 28 anybody's life verse this morning? Raise your hand if it's your life verse. Anybody? Romans 8, 28. So let's look at Romans 8, 28. And Christians love to use Romans 8, 28. The Bible says there, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. <laughs> and we love that verse. And by the way, we should love that verse. It's a great verse. And we know that all things work together for good. We know that. And we often quote that and we preach it. But let me tell you what we don't often do. We don't often read that verse in its context. Now, you're Romans 8. I want you to back up just a little bit, and I want you to look with me, if you will, at verse number 26. Before we ever get to verse number 28, look what verse 26 says. The Bible says, likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our, what? Our infirmities. Infirmities. What is it, preacher? Feebleness of mind or body. It's a, it's a word that means malady or frailty, disease, sickness, weakness. Likewise, the Spirit also helped our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession with, uh, for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth hearts knoweth it was the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to them love God and to them who are the called according to his purpose. What are you saying? I'm saying that sometimes it is those infirmities that God allows to come into your life in verse number 26, but don't forget, verse number 20 is just around the corner. And then he says, and we know all things work together for good. You say, whoa, 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 pastor. Whoa, wait a minute. Are you even trying to imply that somehow my cancer could work out for good? Yeah. You say, pastor, I had a golden job I made an incredible salary. I mean, we were footloose and fancy free. New vehicles, new house, everything was going great. I walk in one day and they say, we don't need you anymore. Are you trying to tell me that somehow that's gonna work out for good? That's exactly what I'm telling you. God doesn't do those kind of things. And by the way, if it happened, God allowed it to happen. And if God allowed that thing, that burden, that malady, that affliction, that disease, that sickness, that problem, that, that valley, that storm, if God allowed that to come into your life, it's not because he hates you. But God's allowing some pressure. And by the way, none of us like pressure. But this is my message. Sometimes during that pressure, we, we get a little weak. And we say, you know what, Lord, if you're going to do something like that, I'm not going to church anymore. Wait, whoa, whoa. You shouldn't only not stop going to church. You ought to go to church more. Well, Lord, you're applying this pressure. I'm not reading my Bible anymore. No, 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 no. As that pressure comes, you not only need to keep reading your Bible, you need to read your Bible more. 
You know why? Because there is a loving heavenly father that loved you so much and gave his son for you and he's allowed that pressure not to make you bad, but to make you better. Do we always understand it? No. Most of the time we don't. But how many know this? How many at least agree to this? God knows what he's doing. God has a perfect plan, doesn't he? Young ladies on her way home from work, late, late, late. She is going through an area that she thought would be a shortcut. And uh, it's dark, it's late, hardly anybody's out. And her car begins to sputter. And, she, and then she thinks, oh no, oh no. I meant to fill up and I forgot. And that car sputters and it, and it comes to a stop. It's pitch black dark. And she's like, oh no, all by herself. Doesn't have a phone to call anybody. There's, there's not a, a place to walk to to make a phone call. There's not a pay phone. She's in some kind of an industrial, uh, industrial area and there's nothing but chain links as far as the eye can see and, and dark businesses and she's sitting there all by herself and she's thinking, oh no, and she's so angry. And she's angry at herself and she's thinking, you knew you should have stopped. You knew you should have put gas in the car. You knew you should have and she's just fussing at herself. And all of a sudden, Her worst fear is realized. She sees a burly man walking up the road toward her. There's nobody around. It is only her and now him. He's sort of rough looking. And she thinks, oh my, oh my, what am I going to do? So she locks, she makes sure all the doors are locked. And she, she says, well, maybe if I... I'm gonna just, I'm gonna uh, uh, hunker down here in the seat. Maybe he won't see me and maybe he'll walk on by. And so she does that. She gets down in the seat as, as, as far as she can go and lays, just tries to lay low. And, and even with that, the man comes up and knocks on the window. And she is scared out of her wits. She begins to scream, leave me alone, leave me alone. She begins to lay on the horn and just, just uh, the horn, just has the horn pressed down and, and she's saying, leave me alone, leave me alone. And, and she's got the horn blowing and, and finally, finally, he walks away. And she thinks, oh man. But just a little later, here comes the same man. And this time he has an iron bar in his hand. And she thinks, what am I going to do? He walks up to the window and takes the iron bar and smashes the window out, unlocks the door, reaches in and grabs the young lady. She's kicking, screaming, clawing, everything she can do. In fact, she's able to, she kicks, she kicks him in the face and his nose begins to bleed. He drags her out of the car and she's just screaming, And when he, once he gets her out, he, he lets her go. And she's thinking, what, what, what's going on? And right about that time, she feels the ground begin to shake. 
And she hears something that sounds almost like thunder. What she didn't realize was she had ran out of gas and pitch black right on the railroad. And as that man pulled her free from the car, at about that same time, a locomotive came by and smashed that car and tore it to smithereens and took it down the track. And then she realized something. What she thought was hostility was really somebody trying to care for her. You know, a lot of times that happens in the Christian life. Sometimes God tries to move us here and there and get us to do this, and we sort of bristle and say, I don't want to do that. Leave me alone. Leave me alone. That's not right. That's not fair. And what we don't realize is that we have a loving, heavenly Father that's trying to keep us from destruction. And he's trying to, yes, apply a little pressure. Not so we'll be bad, but so we'll be better. Would you do me a favor? Would you bow your heads with us all over the house this morning? I wonder who was here this morning that needed that message from the Lord. Something's happened. You were serving. You were praying. Faithful to church. Giving your tithe. Trying to do right. And all of a sudden it's like the the bottom fell out. And you're like, whoa. What in the world, Lord? This doesn't make any sense. I mean, I'm trying to do right. I'm trying to live for you. And man, look what happens. And if we're not careful, Calvary, you know what will happen? The enemy will come. And the enemy will whisper in our ear and he'll say, God's not fair. God's not right. He's not right for letting that happen to you. But I want you to understand, if God's allowed a burden in your life, God's God's applying a little pressure because He wants to take you from carbon to a beautiful gem.